Welcome to Capitalizing on the Next Wave of Technologies for Connected Government panel discussion. Sponsored by ServiceNow. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Frank Konecki, the Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force, Phil Klokas, the Associate Chief Information Officer of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration, Dr. Michael Valavula, the Chief Technology Officer for the National Agriculture Statistics Service at the Department of Agriculture, and Bob Osborne, the Chief Technology Officer for Federal at ServiceNow. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get started, let me set a little bit of context for our discussion today. Just three years ago, a Brookings Institution review of agency strategic plans found not one mention of Internet of Things. Now the Internet of Things is changing the computing landscape across the government, from mobile and wearable devices to smart sensors in buildings to drones sending back a volume and veracity of data that we've never seen before. Almost everything is getting an IP address these days. From GSA's use of sensors to manage costs of heating and cooling buildings to USDA's efforts to more accurately gauge farm production, the government's use of connected devices is skyrocketing. <clears throat> In fact, the growth of connected devices is happening around the world. The McKenzie Global Institute estimates 25 to 50 billion devices will be connected to the internet by 2025 across the globe. And as agencies wade deeper into IT modernization efforts, these connected devices will play a larger role in how they transform service delivery and meet mission goals. Despite the excitement and promise of IoT devices, there's still a lot of questions. Security, interoperability, discovering the value of data. All are part of the policy and procedure discussions going on across government. In fact, Senator Mark Warner is so concerned about IoT security, for example, he introduced the Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act last December. The bill would require agencies to buy IoT devices that meet a minimum level of security standards. So what does the broader use of connected devices mean for agencies, particularly as they move more and more applications to the cloud? How do IoT devices change your approach to acquisition, security, data analytics? What are the policy questions that you still need to address? Well, that's why we have our panel here today. They're going to address these complex challenges as agencies are laying the groundwork to deal with this explosion of connected devices that is here today and only getting bigger. Once again, my guests are Frank Konecki, the Chief Technology Officer for the Air Force, Phil Klokas, the Associate Chief Information Officer of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration. Dr. Michael Valavula, the Chief Technology Officer of the National Agriculture Statistics Service at the Department of Agriculture. And Bob Osborne, the Chief Technology Officer for Federal at ServiceNow. Frank, I'm going to start with you. You and I had a wonderful conversation a few months back on this specific topic, IoT. Uh, and you guys at the Air Force are doing a ton of great work. So let's just start with IoT, AI, machine learning, you know, fill in the emerging technology blank. Where does this fit into the overall Air Force's kind of strategy? Well, the strategy, of course, is to actually use data and actually use data effectively. I mean, this is where we're getting to. We established a CDO office to support getting authoritative data and how are you going to use authoritative data. We also have an AI cell developing that's going to look at how you use AI across the Air Force now, especially since uh, DOD announced the Jack. <laughs> That just came out last week, I believe. The, the Jack, of course, is the, the joint, a, joint, joint AI, AI. AI Center. Yes. Thank you. Just in case we don't get lost in your acronyms, right? <laughs> we'll try to keep them down. No, it's fine. The, uh, and so we we're looking at lots of things right now. So as we do uh, I, IoT devices, we have a lot of devices, in, for instance, in trucks, in, in, in airplanes, in engines, everything else across the board. And the first question is, how are you going to use all this information? Some of that is with AI related, such as uh, engine maintenance activities and how we're going to maintain the engines and look at what spare parts we need to pre-position based upon engine wear. There's other activities, too, with the smart cities. And I, well, one of the infrastructure things we're actually doing right now is to make sure that we actually have LTE coverage on the bases, because it's really cool to have a lot of IoT devices linking to the Internet, but there's no Internet connectivity. <laughs> so one of the initiatives we have right now is to push LTE across all the bases. And as we progress, we're, we're pushing out Right now, a request for uh, late licensing authority and everything else for, for at least the start of the bases, at least a section of the country right now, and we're going to give the rest of the country. So I know there's a lot to talk about the bases, but let me just offer, uh, ask one other question about the LTE piece and how that relates more broadly to the infrastructure. At the same time, you have all these devices and all this data, you also need the infrastructure behind it. So is that also right. part of the strategy? Part of the strategy is looking at what cloud capabilities we have to have. We're also looking at a strategy of, of uh, as we take the information, do we actually download all the information or do we actually work on that information based where it comes in? Especially when you talk about it at the airplane level. Because right. you can't keep sending all the information down. You have to be able to process information and send the key information back down. And so we're looking at what infrastructure support do we have. And a lot of it depends upon how, how miniaturization the processor and storage are getting, how fast they can they actually operate. 
because in certain aircraft we have minimum amounts of space and electricity to actually manage that. So we have to think of it as everything gets more miniature and is more small and more equipped and faster, we're actually going to be using it more to do the processing and get more IoT, key IoT information back down to the, to the, to the field. All right. Let me turn to Bob now, just based on what you heard from Frank, and I'm sure we'll hear from the rest. Give me a sense from the service now, seeing from its clients, from the people you're working with in, in the government. Well, Jason, you know, this is an exciting time to be a technologist, particularly in the government, because we're seeing disruptive technologies change how we do business in our personal lives, right? So we've got artificial intelligence, intelligent agents helping us make decisions in virtually every uh, aspect of our personal lives. And, and this type of technological revolution is now making incursions into the workplace. So the enterprise IT solutioning has to be radically different going forward than what we're used to. You spoke about IoT and, and that's exploding across the world and it's impacting federal governments and really all highly regulated industries by causing us to look at how we define the borders of our enterprise really differently. So you have an internal and external view to any enterprise and those boundaries are now going to be blurred by the introduction of wearables and implantable devices that we don't have control of removing very easily or sensibly uh, in our environment. So how we construct from an enterprise architecture view, how we have a security posture that allows us to be aware of what devices are requesting access to our, our various networks, how we grant those uh, accesses, roles-based permissions, et cetera. Those types of things have to be really redefined in this new era of connectivity. You know, Frank talked about the ability to provide wireless uh, connectivity across all the bases in the Air Force. That's across the world in general, but particularly government agencies. When we move from commercial provided uh, internet connectivity into federally provided uh, internet connectivity, the rules change, of course. There's much more security and, and regulation over that. Uh, and yet the devices that we're carrying and introducing into those enterprises are exactly the same. So how do we deal with that? And, and what are going to be the policies around that? But more importantly, how do we architect re-engineering the IT foundations that are providing the services internally to our employees in the various agencies and then externally to the uh, citizen consumers of agency services as we move forward. So you mentioned one of my favorite topics, enterprise architecture, so maybe that's for a later discussion. But let me turn to Phil real quick. Now, Phil, we're excited to have you because, number one, the, the public building service is doing so much great work. Uh, it's, it's one of those places that I think the unknown uh, success stories across government. So maybe we talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at, at PBS around this use of IoT sensors and, and the infrastructure piece that Bob and, and, and Frank have talked sure, about. Sure, sure. And Frank mentioned about the airplanes, right? So I'm the building guy, right? Because our buildings are talking to us uh, now with a lot of the sensors and a lot of the controls that we have in place. So really, uh, we feel that we have to modernize our infrastructure. Um, and we're doing that in, in three, three major areas. Um, and, and again, Frank mentioned about the data and the use of the data. So we have a platform called our D2D environment, Data to Decisions. So it's a, a cloud-based platform that we're collecting uh, a series of data points from not only our buildings, but from our business lines, whether that's financial information or uh, portfolio information about our inventory or sensor information that the IoT and our smart buildings are providing. And there's an, a massive amount of data uh, that we're collecting. So we need to be able to have the capability or an infrastructure to support and collect the information. And once you collect it, you need to store the information. Then you need to normalize the information, right? Make sure you're comparing apples to apples um, and model the data so you can turn that data into useful information. And then above all, you need to analyze and wrap uh, analytics around, uh, around that data. And ultimately, you want to act on that data because that's what it's all about, right? You can have all the data in the world. You can have all the information in the world. But we need to figure out how to turn that data into information that we can act on and make informed business decisions. The second thing we're doing, uh, uh, Jason, is to look at our infrastructure. You mentioned about the cloud. Uh, it's not going to go away, right? I mean, a matter of fact, a lot of agencies, we as well, uh, cloud-first environment, we're moving in that direction. But we also have our wide area network that we 
support within the GSA infrastructure, and we're looking to make that more robust because you can imagine the amount of information that not only we're collecting, but the devices that are going to be in our buildings and that are in our buildings. How do we make our network robust enough to handle that data traffic, uh, not only now, but in the future? And um, so we're looking to leverage some of the uh, enterprise uh, contracts that are in place. Uh, our sister organization, the Federal Acquisition Service, put together a, uh, a contract called the Enterprise Infrastructure Services, the EIS contract. Uh, we're really excited about that. We're looking to take advantage of uh, some of the features and some of the technologies that are part of that contract. Uh, at, at the public building service, we have 1,500 owned assets, owned buildings that we have, right? And we have about 70% of those are connected to the GSA wide area network. And in many cases, these are connected with what we call a point-to-point -point connection or a T1 connection, which nowadays it's 1.5 megabits of, uh, of, of speed. It's almost a little better than dial-up, if you remember. I'm showing my age here, but a little better than dial-up capability, right? And that's not only to accommodate what our buildings are doing, right, and the information that we're pulling back and forth between our buildings, but business operations financial operations, email traffic. So we're looking, what can we do to modernize that infrastructure? Um, and we're doing that, uh, quite frankly, with things like software-defined networking and other types of technology that are available on that EIS contract. And then last but certainly not least, I, I think we have to look at the people, right? Um, the technology is one thing. We can put the technology in place, but in order to have a successful infrastructure in place, you need to have the right people to not only manage it, but also to leverage the capabilities that the modernization and the emerging technologies that are gonna afford us in the future. I love the, uh, the, the reference to the T1. I think Frank was laughed as well. Yeah. <laughs> you probably have some bases with a few T1s, but remember when they were the big thing. Uh, Dr. Valavula, let's talk about USDA a little bit. You have a very similar challenge as, as Phil, with lots of places, disparity, and but you have the harder probably job of the connection piece, right? Because people in the field, so talk a little yeah. about yeah, your strategy. Jason. Just to set the context, and what we do at uh, National Agricultural Statistics Service we are the number keepers to the U.S. agriculture. We have been doing it for over 150 years. We collect all kinds of data. Anything that you want to know about U.S. agriculture, we have it. We do it very well. We publish over 450 reports every year. And also the uh, trading places, the movie you have seen, those <laughs> commodity trading places, those uh, estimates that we publish, uh, that you know, corn, soybean futures, and. Uh, things of that nature, we publish the, those sensitive reports. And we have uh, thousands of surveys that we conduct and we collect data. You folks probably heard about precision agriculture. And this country has about 2.3 billion acres of uh, total land mass. Of that, about 946 million acres is farmland. If you take the farmland, about 55% of the farmland is is more of a thousands of acres owned by a single person or an entity. So these folks, to reduce operational cost, they use lots of technology. You know, you talk about autonomous vehicles. You see the track driverless tractors tilling the land. And you have variable irrigators, they have sensors. Combines, they have sensors. They can estimate how much corn that's being harvested. So all these tools that are being used in the field today have sensors and they collect all that information. And the, the problem that we have in a day-to-day -day issue is we have reduced number of responses coming back from our service. The only way we can get more data, better data, is to go to these entities or the sensors where the data is being collected and take the data from there instead of asking the farmers to pro provide that information. And uh, the challenge that we have is how do we collect the data from different sources, different producers, different formats, so all these go to different clouds, and uh, so how are we going to integrate all these data elements that we have? We are talking about billions and billions or trillions and trillions uh, bytes of data. 
So we are trying to move in that direction so that we don't have to ask the farmer for the same information. If it is already there, we can get it. We don't have to ask for it. That is reducing the respondent burden, which is very, very important for us. We want to make it easy for the farmers. And we are also looking at the possibility of developing um, analytical models, like uh, we published this predictive uh, data, that is the estimates, what the corn is going to be for this year or soybean this year. So those, you know, we may be able to estimate that better with the analytical models that we are trying to develop. For example, predictive models. And we do have uh, folks working in this direction, and we want to run like parallel studies that you have a classical way of doing things and also doing it in a way that, that is more analytical, more automated, and we will have that running parallelly. But I'm talking about five to 10 years from now. It will take us that much time to integrate all these data elements and come to the point where we are confident that the methods that we are using, analytical models that we are using, are going to match what we are doing today. So that is, that is what we are looking at in terms of IoT and analytics. So it seems like you have two things going on. You have the long term, which is the, the what could take five or ten years, but also the short term need of understanding the data right away. So is there an infrastructure? Uh, let's talk just briefly about the infrastructure piece that you guys are looking at to balance out your short term needs. We are looking at cloud, for example, like everybody else, and uh, we are moving into the cloud little by little. And uh, we have something called SIPSI. Confidential, confidential Information Protection Statistical Enhancement Act that says that we will not reveal the information that we collect from the farmers. If we do, we will find $250,000 or put in jail for five years. We have something called a lockup area, which is the air gapped. We process this information, sensitive information, not touching the internet ever. So that is probably the last thing to go into the cloud. I do not see that is going into the public cloud that may stay in a private cloud in-house. In, in so, uh, so that is very important for us to keep the privacy and the yeah. sensitivity of the it's data balanced. intact. Yeah. And, and we cannot just sacrifice that because if we do that, we won't be able to get any data because we make that guarantee to our farmers and ranchers that will never ever be released to the public. The only data they will publish is the aggregate data at the county level and state level and the estimates that we make as the national levels. That's what we do. So it sounds like there's a, there's a balance that you guys have to do. I think Frank was shaking his head as that too. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into a little more of the details. You're listening to the panel discussion, Capitalizing on the Next Wave of Technologies for Connected Government, sponsored by ServiceNow on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Brian Marvin, Vice President, Federal at ServiceNow. At ServiceNow, we're changing the way people work. From automated workflows to practical AI, our government customers get the benefit of new technology on a platform ready for use. With the FedRAMP certified cloud, ServiceNow takes the risk out of cloud adoption. Agencies experience unprecedented control over their data while reducing cost and complexity. ServiceNow, helping agencies reach their goals now and exceed them in the future. To learn more, visit servicenow.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, capitalizing on the next wave of technologies for connected government, sponsored by ServiceNow on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Frank Konecki, the Chief Technology Officer of the Air Force, Phil Klokas, the Associate CIO of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration, Dr. Michael Malavola, the Chief Technology Officer for the National Agriculture Statistics Service at the Department of Agriculture, and Bob Osborne, the Chief Technology Officer for Federal at ServiceNow. It was a first segment we kind of went through each, what everyone's kind of doing around IoT, where it fits in with your infrastructure, how you're modernizing. Let's look at the other piece of this that I think is important is, is part of the workflow, because all this data, all these sensors, all this cloud, it changes the way each agency works. So let me start with Frank. Um, when you guys, as you guys move toward this connected devices, this new infrastructure, this collecting of data, what's that mean for the people actually, if you will, are doing the work or using the data with the workflow? Okay, well, let's take a good example, and that's uh, engine maintenance. All of a sudden, as you start getting in engine maintenance data, you realize that you have to have parts. So we're changing the logistics part flow right now. But all of a sudden, you come back and say, I want to be able now to have a part ready for me when I land based upon what I'm getting in my IoT sensor devices that says this part is going to wear out next. 
okay, that changes the logistics system. It changes the way that the maintenance people actually work because now they're expecting something to be there and to work on that engine when it lands. This is totally different than the standard. Standard is to come and land, look at what's going on, try to figure out what you need to do. So it's changing policy, it's changing procedures, it's also changing the systems because now the systems have to automatically respond back and say, hey, I'm going to send a part here. <laughs> <laughs> which has never been done before. And so as, as this progresses, you're seeing there are all sorts of uh, changes that are set, happening to the logistic systems right now as they go farther and further on. In fact, we're getting to the point now where we're actually doing 3D printing of parts. And some of these parts are going to be printed on base now where the, the event is going to occur. So this is automating more down the path and looking at what is it doing to the people. Mechanics are having an easier job. Hopefully. <laughs> Maintainers, yeah, they should be having an easier job. And so, and you, you expect to have, you now have to pull an engine, you know, immediately because you think it may be bad. Now you can determine what is really happening. So you can see that that's one example. There's lots of other examples where, you know, we're looking at, you know, IoT for fuel trucks and things. And what is the fuel on that truck? How full is it? Do I have to go back and get some more fuel because it's going to fuel the plane or not? You know, there's all sorts of procedure changes now are occurring, especially when you look at uh, the AI systems and re resiliency and reliability of systems now. I think it's a fascinating example because it's versus being more proactive versus reactive. Hey, this part usually lasts 5,000 miles. It's at 4,820. Okay, let's change it. Bob, jump in. Well, you know, Frank illuminates a great point, and, and that's the aggregation of data. And we've heard it in several of the opening comments. It's all about the data. But the challenge with that is is not just finding data, aggregating it, and then starting to comb through what it really means. It's being able to share that information in a meaningful way. So I, I often refer to the term of setting the table to be prepared to take advantage of the, the new and emerging technologies. And that means putting together a framework within your architecture that allows you to move rapidly into adoption of new technologies. So in ServiceNow, we refer to that as modernizing and then transforming so that you're ready to innovate. So uh, moving from not, you know, kind of managing stovepipe systems that are uh, supporting individual processes within lines of business into platforms that support uh, business operations that have mission outcomes is really what the agencies are shooting for. So in order to do that, you have to aggregate information and be able to put applications on top of that that can mine that information and present it for humans to make decisions or machines to make decisions in order to get proactive rather than reactive. When we talk about AI and machine learning in the workplace now, uh, particularly in the federal workplace, the ability to have this data uh, available for applications to run advanced machine learning and AI applications that give you the predictive and preemptive capabilities that Frank referred to, to avoid outages altogether. Not just in IT, knowing when to replace a server or to add storage memory, but in operational uh, outcomes, like when do you replace parts on a jet engine, or when are tires gonna wear out in a Humvee in the desert versus a, a jungle environment. So it's critical that you set the table, transform that basis of IT support that is going to power all of these transformative in, uh, technologies that are introduced into the workplace of the future. Phil, let me, let me get you to jump in as well because I think very similar to what, what Frank was talking about with the truck parts, you probably have HVAC, heating, air conditioning, uh, t talk yeah, a little bit. Yeah, Jason, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, uh, we have a program that we've implemented about three years now. It's called our GSA Link program. Um, it's installed in about 85 buildings uh, that uh, comprise about 50 million square feet of, uh, of commercial real estate. There's over 170,000 individual components that we're actually monitoring as part of the GSA Link program uh, with about 30,000 pieces of equipment. So as as Frank said, with you know again the aircraft and the and the parts, uh, our components within our buildings um, also are important to us because they fail too. You need to do maintenance on those things as well, and uh, they don't get replaced all that often. When you buy a industrial HVAC system for uh, you know a 20 million square foot building, it's uh, you know Hopefully it's not, not buying it yeah year. yeah <laughs> it's not one of those things that you just replace out. But um, so. So 
it's a, a rather robust program, but there's really three legs of that stool, right? The, the old proverbial technology part, the process part, and the people part. Um, you start at the segment by talking a little bit about the process, and I'll be honest with you, th the technology in many cases is the easy part. Right, um, it either works or it doesn't work for the most part. Right, um, you may have to do a little tweaking here and there, but the two other legs of the stool that are equally as important are the people and the process, and uh, they all have to be in balance for the overall technical solution or product or service uh, to work. And if they're not in balance, that's when you get into problems. So, uh, process automation really, really a big thing. We're doing a little bit about robotics now, starting to robot robotics process automation and the really interesting thing that we or I have noticed personally with robotics it's giving you and forcing you to look at your process you should never automate a bad process because that's just going to compound <laughs> the the issues over time right because you're just doing bad things faster and that's not a good thing so I uh, really have to take a hard look and I think technology is trying to are driving us to take a look at our business processes and maybe we don't even have to do it that's the best of all board don't maybe eliminating the process don't automate it don't do it just move on to the next one um, so robotics process and uh, uh, automation is something else we're starting to pull the thread a little on. I've been so surprised how quickly the government has really picked up on some of these things like RPA and, right. and even AI. Bob, jump back in. Well, you know, Phil makes a great point, and, and he's mentioned it twice now, and that's the people aspect of new technology inter introduction into the workplace. But asset management is really what we're, we're looking at is advanced asset management, whether it's a, a physical thing, a virtual item, or a human. If you think of that as an asset that needs to be in the right place at the right time to perform a function in a workflow that has an outcome, that has a mission outcome in the case of the government, it's really critical to understand the human element because in all the work uh, use cases that we're discussing right now, the, the human's capability, what are their skills, their, their training, their abilities, what tools do they need, have to be at the right place at the right time when the airplane lands or, or the uh, HVAC system's going to be uh, repaired. And those become highly valued assets in many cases when, when very unique skill sets are, are utilized. That if we leave that part of the equation out, that leg of the stool, as Phil said, it's really going to result in a failure and a delay in, in, uh, in getting that system or that capability back up. Yeah. Michael, jump in because you guys have a huge people problem of getting people to do those surveys. But That is correct because I want to just mention about this is not more of a... Um, an evolution, it is more of a metamorphosis in, if you look at the transformation because we are looking at uh, statisticians and mathematicians that we have hundreds of them in our organization, that's all they do, they crunch numbers. And they want to understand what is the reliability of these sensors and how accurate are they, who is calibrating them, can we trust these numbers? Because first of all, that is a fundamental question. What is the integrity of the system? What is the security? Where do we put security? At the endpoint, or at the node, or at the data center back? And also, who is managing this cloud? So all these things, who touches this information? Because we want information that has not been touched. So we, we like the integrity aspect of it and the reliability aspect of it. So unless they are convinced that this is clean, the data is clean, in, in terms of, it, it, you know, it was like an embedded system that sent the data out. And then we have to find out a way to reformat and integrate those data elements and match them with different uh, manufacturers. John Deere for one big. Case is another one. And, um, you know, DuPont, Pioneer, Monsanto, Bayer, there are so many players. And uh, it is very hard to come up with a single standard way of collecting and formatting data and sending it to NAS. That is the challenge that we have amongst ourselves to, to how do we do you know, collection of the data and then how do we analyze the data and of course how do we develop models and then how do we train our people, basically? Right. So now they are statisticians. Now we are asking them to move into AI and machine learning and come up with a way to model, and they also do the day-to-day -day work. So that is a very, very big challenge for us. 
Phil, jump in. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the normalization of the data with so many different makes and models and uh, proprietary information, whether it's on the farm or the farm equipment or within the building, uh, we have hundreds, hundreds if not thousands of different makes and models of uh, products and services that are in our building collecting this information most of them dealing with non-standard protocols. How do you collect this information? How do you normalize this information? Because that's really what's key. We have to be able to be in a position to compare apples to apples, because that's what gets us into, I think, into a little bit of a, an issue when we have these different systems and they're all doing a little different, uh, a little different thing. And, and I think, oh, Michael, jump in. Yeah, adding to the complexity here, we already use satellite data. And uh, the, to draw a picture of the U.S., uh, it takes like two to three billion pixels for us to do it. Imagine getting the data at a very high fidelity, about 200, 300,000 more accuracy, and then the numbers will go into trillions. We need to have a way of handling the data, of course, and then that is going to add more to our systems uh, space and also are we going to keep all this uh, information or are we going to filter it out at the edge and bring uh, information that we need? Where do we run our analytical models? Do we go to these different clouds that gather the information and run our models there and only bring the data or bring the data? It won't be physically possible to bring the data in because we just don't have the big pipe to get the data and we have to secure the information. We probably don't want to do that. Moving forward, we will have analytics and our models run in different uh, clouds. We will bring the data and integrate the information and then we will validate the information calling the farmers or ranchers or agribusinesses to see this is the information we got, this is the model is telling us, is this correct? Instead of asking for information, we will give them the result of our analysis and validate the information because that will reduce the burden on the farmers and ranchers, make our life a lot easier. Well, if you need some T1 help, Mike, uh, <laughs> Phil has an extra one that he can provide. <laughs> Bob, 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 Bob no solves the, solve this problem for us, come on. Well, <laughs> well, well it hasn't been solved yet. What we're talking about it, and we're hearing great examples from Phil and Mike, and, and of course Frank has the same challenges in the Air Force, is, is this ability to extend and contract the boundaries of what you consider to be the enterprise that you're managing in this type of a very complex architectural environment. And being able to do that, you have to be able to transcend the way we've traditionally looked at how you provide availability, access, and security to our employees and our citizen uh, uh, customers. So this type of a uh, almost um, human aspect of, of uh, transformation and, and constant reaction to different stimuli uh, takes us beyond just the traditional, you know, let, let's modernize our IT infrastructure so that we can transform how we deliver services and then innovate and bring in new technologies. We have to go beyond that almost to a sentience, an ability to understand, sense, and then respond in an automated fashion to new inputs and requests for access for data from different points. Uh, Mike mentioned all the different partners that they deal with, the, the companies that are providing sensor data that, that uh, affect the analytics and the, and the projections that are done by USDA. Critical data that has to be pristine throughout the process. Being able to trust that is going to, to require a technology approach to securing that type of an environment that isn't done today. We do it in silos and we, we, we hack it up and then we try to share it in, in other non-standard methods. That's fine, but try to run artificial intelligence and machine learning on that. It doesn't work because you've broken the capabilities to run through those data sets. Frank, jump in for this because a lot of the challenges that Phil and Michael talked about and Bob referred to, Air Force is facing, obviously, today, the unstructured data, too much data, how to bring it all together, different clouds, and then, and then Bob brought up security. So yes, we could so we pick where you want to pick, where but you want to start. Security. Yeah. We, if you look at the Air Force, we are a, a city, multiple cities. We have chemical plants, we have manufacturing plants, we have computer plants. We have HVAC, we have everything else across the board. The question is, how do you secure all this and how do you believe the data for the, you know, and this is, comes back to us, we have lots of old systems with lots of old IoT. And the question is, how do you secure that? I mean, going forward, it'd be, it's cool to say, okay, 
we're going to have a security mechanism for these new IoT devices. The old ones are the problem space that we have to satisfy at some point in time. And the question is, how, I, how are we going to look at it from a viewpoint of, let's look at the base and determine the security of the base, not pinpoint it and say, oh, that new device, the HVAC is really cool, but I understand that. But, you know, I have some sensor in a chemical plant that's, that's faulty, and all of a sudden, you know, something else happens out there. So we're looking at security from a viewpoint, and, and what AI techniques can we actually use to monitor prior histories of those devices in terms of determining, is this an abnormal behavior, or is this a behavior that's expected, especially for different times of the year? Because it's, it's going to be a weather-related issue. Sometimes it's going to be a, a, a mission-related issue that's going on. Because if you're doing a mission, all of a sudden, lots of things change. <laughs> Exactly. Well, let's, we're going to take a quick break, and Phil, I'm, I'm going to jump, bring you into that conversation because, as you just mentioned, when you buy an HVAC system, an industrial one, you don't buy it every year. So an old sensor is, is probably a, a, a challenge you're familiar with. But let's take a quick break. You're listening to the panel discussion, capitalizing on the next wave of technologies for connected government, sponsored by ServiceNow on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Brian Marvin, Vice President, Federal at ServiceNow. At ServiceNow, we're changing the way people work. From automated workflows to practical AI, our government customers get the benefit of new technology on a platform ready for use. With the FedRAMP certified cloud, ServiceNow takes the risk out of cloud adoption. Agencies experience unprecedented control over their data while reducing cost and complexity. ServiceNow, helping agencies reach their goals now and exceed them in the future. To learn more, visit ServiceNow.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, capitalizing on the next wave of technologies for connected government, sponsored by ServiceNow on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Frank Konecki, the Chief Technology Officer at the Air Force, Phil Klokas, the Associate CIO of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration, Dr. Michael Valavola, the Chief Technology Officer of the National Agriculture Statistics Service at the Agriculture Department, and Bob Osborne, the Chief Technology Officer for Federal at ServiceNow. At the very end of that last segment, we, uh, Frank brought up this idea of the old sensors and how the security piece. So I'm going to turn to Phil because you have a very similar problem. As you mentioned, you buy an HVAC system for a building, you don't replace it every year. It's not like a computer or a router. So how, how are you guys also dealing with the security of the legacy side and all the sensors and data and yeah. all the fun? Yeah, the legacy is, is that's what keeps me up at night. Um, we were talking at, at a break of it, it's kind of easy when you're buying that new stuff uh, from a security perspective because you can include that security language in your procurements um, but um, we uh, at, at PBS have have thousands of uh, a legacy environment uh, or legacy components within our environment so um, a couple things that we're, we're looking at and, and I call this segmentation um, and two forms of segmentation right where we've done pretty well at doing what what I call micro segmentation where we're VLANing and we're we're segmenting uh, the the not so good uh, uh, building systems that are vulnerable from a security perspective away from our corporate network um, but in order to get down to the next level uh, we're now looking at what I call micro segmentation where we're going to try to segment these devices based upon the category or what these devices do because there are hundreds of different uh, sensors and systems and lighting control systems elevate they all do something a little different and in my opinion this is where uh, I think artificial intelligence and AI can really play into into the uh, securing the environment by doing behavior analysis and determining what that device does or should do over a period of time and then when it goes outside that threshold that's when the tools and the automation and your security platform can kick in and take appropriate action in an automated fashion, right? And in my opinion, that's where we need to go in, uh, in the future in dealing with our legacy systems because we're not going to be able to replace them all just by a snap of a finger. We have to take our time and figure out how to secure these things. And I think by segmenting at the macro level and taking that down to more of a granular micro level is a good next step to do it. And generally speaking, as GSA is modernizing the federal building infrastructure across the country, are you guys able to add in the, the, the newer technology that is more easily secured, or are you still stuck with yeah. 
a, a mix. Yeah, that, it's a hybrid, and yeah. and I can I, I see it being a hybrid uh, in the foreseeable future. Um, but uh, we we are uh, when we're coming into life, and we do have the appropriate level of funding. Uh, we are prioritizing those assets where they form or or generate the biggest risk. Um, we do uh, do a rather excessive what we call a risk management framework where we're taking a look at all our buildings. Uh, we're taking a look at those assets in the building. We're uh, rating them based upon the risk that they pose to our tenants and to our operating environment. And then we're prioritizing those items based upon that risk that we've previously identified. Michael, jump in here and talk a little bit about your legacy challenges. We do have a different type of challenge because we don't own all these uh, endpoint devices uh, like the sensors, but we do get information from them, data from them. Uh, if you look at the papers that was, those papers published from McKinsey Global Institute, like you mentioned, Jason, and also the IDC paper that came up last year, they were saying that by 2025, the data that is being collected uh, with all these devices and um, uh, embedded uh, you know, things that are out there, IOTs, it's going to be 160 three zettabytes of data. And you can put those things on 40 trillion DVDs, and if you stake them up, you can go to the moon and back to Earth 100 million times. That is a lot of data. And it is not going to be possibly be able to save all that information. So there's going to be selective amount of data would be saved, maybe, maybe one-tenth of what it is. And because the look at the growth of the data, it is growing anywhere from 30% to 53% of CAGR, that's cumulative annual growth rate. So, and the sensitive data has been going up. It is going to be 10 to 100 times, depending on who you ask. So that information needs to be protected. For us, security is a major, major concern because I. I mentioned that you know we collect sensitive information, which is PII information, we just couldn't reveal to the world before it is getting all integrated into a sort of a county level or state level or national level. That is the challenge that we have, the integrity of the data and the security of the data. How do we manage that without owning the, those, those equipment pieces out there in the field? And that is our challenge, and we need to come up with a way to handle that much of information. Uh, that is a big challenge for us. And you also have the, the challenge that you're getting data from the pr farmers and producers, and they may understand security. Like, how many farmers know anything about security? I mean, potentially not many. Uh, and so, so do you have to worry about that connection back to USDA? Well, you know, uh, Right now, I think there is more and more understanding that security is needed, and uh, farmers understand that data has value. There is a company that will pay $2 for every acre of operational data. You, farmers can sell the data. And about 50% of the farmers don't you know, actually work in the field. They lease that data. And the data ownership becomes a problem because there are like companies that till the land and, uh, you know, provide services to the farmers and they own the data and the farmers had already leased the land and the leasee has the data and then the farmer himself want a copy of the data who actually wants the data who can sell that information to make money so these are policy informations and the policy that that has not been decided i think congress is looking at it but they haven't made any decision on it so that it, you know everybody says the farmer wants the data but i don't think it has been codified as far as i know so that is a just challenge way, just put the complications of complications so yes. uh, Bob, I want to turn to you a little bit about the legacy issue because you've talked several times about doing a couple of things, uh, enterprise architecture, relooking at the framework, the platforms that things these things ride on, and, and is, is the key of, while the Air Force or GSA or, or USA is not really going to be able to just ship off their legacy uh, technology, but build kind of a, a bubble around it in some way through the EA, through the platforms? So there are a lot of uh, technical approaches that are viable, and it, it mainly depends on the type of data and then the mission outcomes you're looking for, whether it's going to be uh, legacy data that is, is part of a new uh, process delivery or if it's just archival data that you need to perhaps have someday and in the architecturally you can you can approach that in the appropriate manner but but Phil was saying earlier is is when you when you look at the appropriate uh, types of data that are being harvested and and Michael just mentioned it as well uh, the amount of data that's going to be collected actually that's already being collected by most agencies that is absolutely useless because humans can cannot 
absorb and understand and then make decisions on that in any time of a type, type only manner to affect the outcomes of a process or a particular uh, mission uh, requirement that we have to start to apply automation and artificial intelligence in order to allow the machines to assist the humans to have the information they need to make the appropriate decision. So all of the challenges that have been mentioned, particularly what Frank and, and Michael were mentioning about trusting the data, understanding its integrity and its availability are critical as we build architecturally which systems are going to perform what functions and workflows to have business outcomes in the future. Platforms allow you to, to have the structure around that that includes legacy applications and categorizing those and, and the accessibility to that information, both in income and out, outcome, so your I.O. rates in, in both of those uh, respects, as well as new technology insertions to have business outcomes. So it's going to be a hybrid environment, mm -hmm. both internally for agency utilization and then externally when you talk about, uh, you know, Michael just created an extremely complex uh, challenge when you have multi multiple layer of ownership of data. Uh, when does the enterprise allow access of that information source into the corporate network to be able to be uh, analyzed and, and then uh, taken action on. How do you um, go through the process of quarantining that data, perhaps, or understanding uh, through fencing how you're going to uh, ensure that it's trustworthy before you, you run it into your analytic engines are all critical uh, architectural um, decisions that have to be made as you look at which technologies are going to be used, whether legacy or future. Frank, the other piece of this, and you mentioned this in several of your different uh, examples, is this idea of IT versus OT, operational technology. And I'm starting to hear a lot more about this discussion of OT. How, are you, how do you guys address the OT challenge above and beyond the IT challenge? The OT challenge in its operational side is, is messier yeah. because of the technology that's currently being used. Because you have bus analysis, bus, and bus data, and everything else associated with it. So how you're going to defend or secure the bus data has been a, is a problem space all along. As soon as you get into that realm, the question is, what, what am I talking about? Am I talking about putting more tool sets on top of it? And if I do, it slows everything down. So you know that's been a challenge all along, is well, how can you secure and defend an OT system right now? And that, that's what we're getting into is, but again, what's happening is you have a combo system. You don't really have OT by itself anymore. You have an IT-OT combo that you have to work with nowadays, especially with the new aircraft. It's getting, you know, they're, they're half and half. And so you got to figure out exactly what, what you want to do for defense. I and mean, that's always been the problem. And I think not just with aircraft, but trucks and everything. 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 And, everything and, that's and buildings. Yeah, buildings as well. Yeah, our, yes. our OT. Um, I see really the facilities industry and the IT industry starting really to merge together. Yeah. I, re I really do. And I think um, I, I can see a day in the future, probably the near future, that they may be one. Um, because uh, the OT world is, um, is really starting to mature. Um, but... Um, that's where I really see uh, really see the future going organizationally. Uh, the other thing, our good friends at uh, at NIST uh, did come up with a uh, 882 standard, which that was is a nice pull by the way. That's is, <laughs> which is right up the operation technology you know set of controls. So the standards committee are starting now to take a look at this and trying to focus on hey look. OT, we've ignored it for so long. Our vendors have ignored it for so long. You know, our procurements have ignored it for so long. It's time for us to start bringing this to everybody's attention and um, the, the controls that, that are in there. Now, again, it's, uh, it's based on the old standard IT 853, but nevertheless, the OT is more, or the uh, 82 is more focused on operation uh, controls. Uh, Michael, jump in. Um, you know, Frank just mentioned about ISOBUS, and there is, uh, you know, uh, agricultural um, vehicles that have all kinds of ISOBUSes in them, collect data and transmit data. Uh, there are some universities, especially Indiana University, has taken the lead to build this ISOBUS integration unit so that they can let the buses talk to each other so that then the data comes out, some form of standardization. But, you know, John Deere's and Case and uh, Monsanto's, those folks, you know, some 
sometimes they play nicely and sometimes they don't depending on you know what profit motive you have if they want to have the market share and those are the individual things that they have to make a decision it is just going to be like herding cats trying to standardize all these different vendors and different instruments and different you know operational um, uh, stuff that we have in the field talking to each other and giving the information in a standard format that we could use. We means farmers and ranchers, whoever. So. And that data harmonization, uh, Bob, that's where you're going, but that, that's such a big deal for everything we're talking about. Bob, jump in. Well, you know, the, the OTIT thing is really blurring. So it's, it's totally uh, becoming a hybrid and, and is driving changes in acquisition processes because we can no longer look at a, a traditional business owner giving requirements to the IT guys who are going to decide what technology is going to be bought, bought. Then you go to the contracting folks to go find that. Those days are over. It is a harmonious grouping of understanding the business outcome what operational technologies are appropriate, then how do you integrate that into the IT infrastructure to make it secure, available, and, and perform at the, at the optimum rate? So it's, it really transformed how agencies are looking at everything from requirements generation or ideation of a new capability, all the way through programmatics, delivering that capability to the users, and then having an outcome or a way to transition that into, into retirement. So uh, Bob brings up acquisition, being from GSA, you're the first person I turned to on that. Maybe talk just briefly about your relationship with the Federal Acquisition Services. And as you guys are refurbing buildings, how, how's that relationship changed maybe yeah. over the last few years? Bob hit it right on the point. It, it's no longer where our, our building contracting officers are just going out and procuring. They're bringing to the IT folks to the table. Um, and this is a recent uh, uh, shift, right? I mean, I can't tell you a few years ago how many times I'm up in our commissioner's office saying, we can't put this on a network. You're going to slow down my project. <laughs> Phil, you, can't, you, you have to do it. I was, well, it's not secure. Well, why didn't you get involved in this? I said, I didn't know about it, right? So this is one of these things that you gotta get the IT people at the table, you gotta get the facilities people at the table, you gotta get the acquisition at, uh, people at the table before you buy it. When you're developing that RFP or that RFQ, that's when you need to do it, not after the fact. It's much more difficult to do it after the fact. And obviously it's good to see it's, it's happening and you've seen a change recently. So. I think that's sometimes half the battle is to recognize that. And after all these breaches and after all these challenges, you think that the folks who run a building understand, hey, if someone flattens my tire, use that example for a truck, that's a bad thing. Maybe I should talk to my IT folks. We're, we're just about out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. So first of all, let me thank you all for taking the time and, and having this discussion. Uh, you've been listening to the panel discussion, capitalizing on the next wave of technologies for connected government. Sponsored by ServiceNow on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. Let me thank my guests, Frank Konecki, the Chief Technology Officer for the Air Force, Phil Klokas, the Associate Chief Information Officer of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration, Dr. Michael Valavula, the Chief Technology Officer of the National Agriculture Statistics Service at the Agriculture Department, and Bob Osborne, Chief Technology Officer for Federal at ServiceNow. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Connected Government. Thank you for listening to the Capitalizing on the Next Wave of Technologies for Connected Government panel discussion. Sponsored by ServiceNow on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com slash ServiceNow.